we're about a year older than Twitter and we're about a year younger than Facebook. And so there just wasn't a lot of common knowledge on how to actually build and scale things. For most of 2005, 2006, my life consisted of get up, go to work, which was my you know PhD work, come home at night, usually cook dinner, do a night shift on Reddit, and then you know lather, rinse, repeat. I think I've learned in my career that the people who, especially on the infrastructure side and the SRE side, who do best are the ones who, under pressure, just kind of like either get better or just kind of don't don't panic. I'm Chris Slow. I'm the CTO and founding engineer at Reddit. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today we talk with Chris Slow about early beginnings and being the founding engineer building the world of Reddit. All this and more on Code Story. A tech and science-minded individual, Chris Slow has spent nine years with Reddit. Beyond being a tech executive with the company, he is a dad and likes to work with his hands in the machine shop. When he put roots into the product and the company as the first employee, he and the co-founders wanted to build a place to discuss interesting topics. Fast forward many years, Reddit is now the premier place for news aggregation, content rating, and online discussion around what's going on. Well, let's jump right into it. Tell me how you got started building Reddit and tell me what Reddit is in your own words. Sure. We'll start with I'll start with Reddit is um, so Reddit, Reddit's, Reddit's kind of changed in what it is over, over time. I think the best way to describe it right now is it's it's a it's a network of communities. Um, it's a it's a bunch of, uh, of of communities that exist in a place where users can describe and interact with their passions and interests. And um, you know, I, I think the, the the starting point of Reddit um, going back to the to the early days as a product is. We wanted to build a place to share interesting uh, and you know newsworthy articles, and just have a place to discuss them. So I think if you if you want to talk about like the roots of Reddit as a product, it really is kind of like a, a, an evolution on top of like Slashdot or or even like Delicious Popular if you want to go pretty pretty far back there. Where you know there's a bunch of stuff on any given day that's just really interesting and engaging, and it's a format to to actually discuss it. You know, another 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 kind of like even older idea would be it's like it's like the 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 evolution of the forum as a as a as an art form. As far as like the the how the how did I get involved and how did I get get started? So I was actually so I was the first employee. Um, I started there about uh, six months in, roughly. And at the time, the way I got involved is I I, I had kind of sidelined in, or sideways come into the tech scene in about my fourth year in grad school, where I had a friend of mine proposed to me what amounted to being a startup. Um, now this is in two thousand and four when startups were, were a bit of anathema given the fact that everyone was still kind of recovering from the 2000s, you know, crash. And so at the time, we were just, we were just trying to solve a problem we had, which was like finding, finding documents, you know, a couple science nerds. And long story short on that, it turned out that we ended up going and getting into the first Y Combinator batch, which is the same batch that Reddit was in. You know, Steve, Steve Huffman and Alexis Ohanian were in that batch of starting Reddit. 
And um, long story short, end of that summer, my startup had failed utterly. Uh, and I had two free bedrooms in my apartment. So, you know, it was good friends with Steven Alexis. Uh, they moved in and it was about two months later that I was, I was kind of working on Reddit as well as in my spare time. So for most of 2005, 2006, my life consisted of get up, go to work, which was my, you know, PhD work, come home at night, usually cook dinner, do a night shift on Reddit, and then, you know, lather, rinse, repeat. So I think I was, it was about getting four hours of sleep that whole year, which is, you know, your, your 20s are a magical period of time where you can do that and eat garbage and not die. So I'm, I'm definitely happy that, happy that I'll land at the same time. Well, so, so, I, so I hear the process, the four hours of sleep at night, the coming home, doing a night shift on Reddit. Tell me about that build process, about the MVP build for, for Reddit. What did you build it using? What, you know, what, how did that process go? And what were you thinking during that? Oh man, this is going back to really, this is right before, right before I started. So the first, the first month of Reddit, Steve single-handedly got together an MVP that took less than a month to build. And the original version of Reddit was actually written in common lists. So, so Y Combinator is founded by Paul Graham, among others, and Paul Graham is a big whisper. Uh, and so it seemed like an, an obvious choice to, you know, show, show Paul that it's possible to build a modern web app using a, using a technology like Lisp. And so uh, he built that and launched it. I think, I think Reddit was actually one of the first products that summer to launch, which is just incredible. You know, the, co- the company started in, in sort of June. I think it was actually live on the 28th of, of June, which actually to this day has become like the, the official internal Reddit birthday. And that one was, I mean, it's fairly minimal. So if you think about the Reddit as a mechanic, the, the, the mechanics have been there for, since the very beginning is voting. Every every post and comment on Reddit has a couple of voting arrows that are like, either, you can either upvote or downvote something. And that was in there in the first version. The original version didn't have comments. In fact, the original version was the listing of links that went to other sites. So, you know, it really wasn't initially kind of a link sharing site with a voting mechanic and a way to sort based on a, a kind of a popularity ranking. And that was just about it. Uh, oh, and the alien. The alien's been there since the beginning and has had, you know, definitely a major impact on our on our kind of company culture and our brand. But yeah, that was that was about it. We didn't have comments until easily six months later. It was like kind of start of 06 where we actually went to those. Can you tell a little bit of the story behind the alien and how, like, what what it means and and uh, what it represents? So this is Alexis's, um, you know, one of one of his major marks on on us during the the formative phases of of kind of thinking about what Reddit was going to be. He was literally just doodling in a log in a in a, in a notebook and he kind of doodled the alien and he created this backstory. He's like, it's kind of adorable and it's kind of quirky and he created this backstory of it being a um, of an alien from the future who kind of tells you the news and you know one of the early attempts at um, before they actually picked the name of Reddit, they had tried really hard to get something along the lines of news or or what's new. There was an original mock-up where they had they had uh, created this thing called the site called Snoo S you know apostrophe S N O O. It was hard to get a domain name. It was easier to get a domain name then, but it was really hard to get that one even then. And they never quite got it, and so, but the name stuck on the alien. So we've been calling him Snoo ever since. So in the MVP, maybe a little bit after that, what sort of decisions trade-offs was made when it was being created as the product maybe progressed through that next sort of six months before comments came about? What decisions and trade-offs did you, you guys as a team have to make, and you as the lead engineer have to make, and how'd you cope with those? Well, so I think um, you know um, during those that period of time, like one of the first decisions was you know, what should it be written in, right? Because Lisp is, Lisp at the, you know, at the time was it, it still is kind of a niche language. And so thinking forward to scaling up a company, kind of scaling up a, a, up a 
a stack. I don't know if we were as deliberate at the time. I can project back my opinion now on this, but you know, even then, it was like finding people who can write in Lisp is a pretty small set, even among CS, CS people. And then part of an, an ecosystem of building out an app is, of course, the ecosystem of the of the language you actually use. And so it was probably about six months later when we had decided that actually maybe something like Python was the right answer. Um, this is actually you know this, this is before there was like a really big split between Ruby, Ruby and Python. And in fact, you know, both of them seem like perfectly reasonable options at that point in history. And so we just kind of picked Python because it just seemed like a reasonable, simple, straightforward language. And it's actually proven out to be a really powerful one. It's It's got a um, nice thing about Python is that the, the, the coding style is very well defined and it's very straightforward to look at code and tell it's bad by the way it's formatted, which is kind of a kind of a delight when you're doing multiple people writing it. So we did a little bit of soul searching and you know decided late that year one of the, the first thing one of the first things I did was help out in that rewrite from Common Lisp to Python, and at the same time start to think about the underlying architecture of how to build a site up that could actually scale. And so early on, one of the you know one of the early problems was making sure that the front page could be really fast and that. You know, given the number of votes cast, we could actually not have to constantly dynamically compute that listing for every page view. And so there was a really early choice of how to, how to do that sort that we're called, we call the hot algorithm, which has honestly been pretty much unchanged for most of our history. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've improved it, we've modified it, we've made it smarter. But the, the underlying mechanics of how we compute the time versus votes has been a pretty pretty constant standard for that since then. And, you know, that was, that was probably the first real drastic change. And then from that point on, it was like, Product changes, kind of stacking on. Uh, adding comments was the first one. I think adding comments is actually kind of funny because that was the first time when um, we directly encountered the snark of the community, which was I think one of the first one of the first literal comments was something along the lines of, "Oh well, I guess now it's turned into slash dot. It was less, nice while it lasted. See you guys later." Which uh, you know every everything we do is of course the end of the site. How did it progress after that? Well, so from that point on, we started to. So one of the, one of the big things early on was honestly just scaling. You know the the thing about Reddit that we didn't really understand at the time was that it kind of had immediate product market fit. And so like the traffic was never a problem. We, we it just kind of grew on its own. And most of the work we had was I think, I think in the early days, we were on about a three month doubling cycle, which, you know, isn't isn't as meteoric as some sites have been, but definitely when you're in, under the gun of like, yeah, you can actually see week over week, a, a noticeable difference in traffic. You can actually see on the slope of the weekly traffic, there's like there's a slope, <laughs> you know, even normalizing for weekends was a little bit, you know, both delightful and harrowing at the same time. I think we actually, it was more the harrowing side. And so we spent a lot of time over the course of the first four years, just making sure things scaled. You know, part of that problem was that for that time, there just wasn't the same kind of like common practices for how to actually build and scale a website. You know, 2005, 2006, you know, I think I think we're about a year, we're about a year older than Twitter and we're about a year younger than Facebook. And so there just wasn't a lot of common knowledge on how to actually build and scale things. Um, so we had a chance to actually kind of build it and learn it live and just discover all the silly things that we didn't know about, like configuration of Postgres and arcane settings that, or even basic settings, like what they actually do, which was exciting for sure because usually you're discovering those things while the site's down <laughs> and while your users are complaining the site's down how did you go about building your engineering team so you know how did you structure the team along with the product development as as you focused on scalability and adding new features how did you build that team and, and most importantly in that question what type of people were you bringing on to this team so for the first 6 years the engineering team was never bigger than about five people. We got acquired by Conde Nast in uh, the end of 06 and became effectively a startup inside of a larger company. 
which was great from the standpoint of we had a larger company to kind of shield us and learn from. But it was tough in that we never went through the initial like funding rounds, growth, grow the company, grow the business, grow the staff. Uh, and a lot of that actually didn't, didn't, didn't come until much later. So Reddit was owned by Connie Nast until 12, at which point it spun back out as a private company. And it took its Series A right around then. So, you know, right now um, I work at a 550 person Series D startup that's been post acquired. And so if anything, a lot of the a lot of the, the growth on the engineering side has happened in the last, it's not, well, it's not even a little, it's like all of the, all of the growth has happened in the last five years. During the very early days, we hired what I would say are some really brilliant uh, generalists who were willing to take a chance and, you know, shared our level of crazy would be my best way to describe it. You know, that, that it's reasonable to have a, a giant site with only five engineers working it. Right, that makes a ton of sense. So in those generalists, what made them so special? What, what were the characteristics that you looked for and you're like, that person is the winning horse? I think this wraps up in a way with um, some of like the mythos around the 10X engineer that, you know, has, has kind of pervaded the the, um, the tech scene over the last decade. There's definitely a class of engineer where it's it's not that they're necessarily, like the, the good ones anyway, I'd say. It's not that they're necessarily smarter or better than a typical engineer. They're just willing to like dive into basically any problem and try to fix it. And I think that that's the makings of a generalist. Like, there's a certain fearlessness you have to have to be able to like take a technology stack that you don't know and dive in and figure it out. And then just can, kind of keep, keep repeating that. When there's uh, you know that kind of gun to your head of, we're down, <laughs> figure it out. It has a very kind of clarifying moment of like, you know, it's, it's, it definitely separates out people who, uh, like how you behave under pressure. I think I've learned in my career that the people who, especially on the infrastructure side and the SRE side, who um, do best are the ones who under pressure just kind of like either get better or just kind of don't, don't panic. Some people panic and it's just kind of their, it's kind of your, your nature to panic. Whereas like other people just kind of like, just get kind of calm. And I actually, I discovered early on that I kind of fall into the second category of like, okay, emergency, what do we know? And just kind of like drill into it. So I think that, that was something that kind of naturally comes out. The nice thing about a small team is honestly, everyone has to know what they're doing or you're kind of doomed. And so everyone has to kind of like, not just have a notion of what everyone else is working on, but be able to kind of fill in the gaps and identify places that, that things aren't working. You can't, you can't have a, something dropped on the floor when you have a five person team because then everything is dropped on the floor. I think it's really that that makes it the, the differentiator for, for us in those early days. And among a certain subclass of 10X engineer, to be honest. So when you say they have to know what they're doing, uh, you're not saying they have to be, you know, super senior engineer or whatever, because you're mentioning them as a generalist, but more of they have to know what they're working on, how it affects the, the overall team, what the other team members are working on. So they have to be, it's like an awareness factor. Yeah, I think it's also a, a, just an acceptance of there's a set of things that are unknown and they are knowable, right? Like this this kind of march into the burning building is a problem. Or like, hey, look, let me run in and try to try to fix it. And, you know, independent of technology stack, independent of opinions of like, what's the right answer? Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes the job is, yeah, there's some gnarly code base that we all built together and we're live debugging what's going wrong and not making it about uh, about blame or about like some sort of religious war on what technology to use. Uh, I think that's kind of a that's a that's a valuable component I think into especially in a small startup where you know if you if you're getting stuck up on on kind of religious wars on technology then it's just a, it's a waste of time. Like everything you build you're going to rebuild in six months anyway, so you might as well pick the thing that makes the most sense right now. Try to standardize as much as possible to do, you know deduplicate effort, but really just kind of drive and build, and then just accept the fact that yeah you're going to burn it all down later anyway. 
So, you know, you, you're one of the, the founding engineers of, of Reddit. You've been here since the beginning. You've been here, you know, acquisition, post-acquisition. Um, you, you know, you're, you've seen it grow. You've seen it scale. You've been a part of this from the beginning. But what, what are you most proud of throughout the whole cycle in the technology and the product? So I think that, honestly, the fact that there is, there is code in production right now that has my get blame on it and has for about a decade makes me really both happy and dreadful at the same time. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, I remember that guy. He didn't necessarily know what he was doing, but the, the, the result is kind of proven out. I think, you know, the, the, the fact that, I think that what I'm actually proud of is the product itself. Like, I mean, Reddit is, Reddit is, is successful it's as much the technology as the people, and I mean that both on the team, on the side of the people who built it and the people who are who make the platform. Um, you know, Reddit is kind of nothing without the without the community around it. And I think the fact that we kind of like half dis- half stumbled, half discovered, half built what amounts to being this like lovely, vibrant, dynamic set of communities where people can kind of be them, be themselves, and be authentic and create niches to talk about things that we would have never dreamed about, uh, you know, in the early days. I mean, that's just fantastic. Like, I can't, I can't imagine. I'm just incredibly proud of that. Let's, let's flip to the other side of that coin. Tell me about uh, a mistake that you made and, and how, how did your team respond to it? I mean, well, uh, one of the mistakes is the fact that I've got code in production that's been 10, it's about 10 years old. Let's talk about that one. No, it's funny when I, well, you know, so I had, I've had two students here. I came back in, I came back in 16 and ever since I came back, one of my recurring missives has been any code that you find that has my blame on it. Just assume it's wrong and rewrite it, please. I actually, when I, one of the, one of the early things that happened when I, when I, when I kind of returned was, I think it was about, it was probably the same day that I got my uh, employee account back that um, somebody tagged me on a pull request review. And I looked at it and it was a bunch of JavaScript code that was like kind of deep down in the, in the guts of the stack. And my first response was, uh, so I, I pinged them back. I'm like, why'd you pin me on this? So at this point in my career, I had been gone for about five years, had mostly done backend work in data science. And um, the response I got back was just this, this bone chilling, your blame is on the code. Oh God, okay, so new rule. Any JavaScript that Chris wrote, please rewrite because that was a long time ago, and I don't want to, you know, <laughs> be remembered for that. Yeah, in terms of like actual direct, that's kind of one class of mistakes, which is that you know we do have a whole bunch of stuff that needs to be cleaned up. I think though that um, the other side of that that problem is that you know there's, there's always a lot of talk about kind of like everyone complains about tech debt, everyone complains about that you know this thing wasn't built right or we chose the wrong standards. I think of that as actually luxury to be able to complain about tech debt. And I say that because if you're complaining about tech debt, it means that you have the time to actually clean up the stuff that you're building as opposed to just having to deal with whatever disaster is currently happening, whether it be traffic isn't there or the site is down or any of a number of existential problems that can happen to a business. And so, you know, when you're at the point when you're dealing with tech debt, it actually means you've got a certain amount of success and you can actually start dealing with it and make things better for the, for the people down the line. It's almost like building for your children. Like the, the developers that are hired a year from now should not have to deal with the foibles and mistakes of us right now. So let's try to make the, the system better for them. You know, I, the other side of that is I, I, I've, I've come to just kind of accept that, you know, experience is really just kind of a collection of mistakes and failures, right? So if you're gonna, um, this is why I actually would rather try and fail than 
optimize towards something perfect in the first pass. Like we really have a, we try to have a very um, explicit kind of MVP culture here. Not because we want to throw things against the wall and see what sticks, but because I'd rather throw it against the wall, see if it works, and then tear it down, than just kind of like try to build the perfect thing and find out that it's completely wrong. Like we missed, a, we missed an entire avenue. What is next for Reddit? What's the future look like for the product and, and for the team? For the product, I think that the, the core is actually a very kind of unsexy, undrastic, like we're going to continue to enable communities to grow and to flourish. I mean, I think the underlying, it took, it took us a while to kind of figure out how Reddit actually works as a product. And what we've kind of discovered, especially over the last couple of years, is that the things that work best on Reddit from a product standpoint are, are products that actually work through communities. So we as engineers and as product people are responsible for building tools to make the community experience better and to make it richer and to basically let the creativity of the community flow in interesting ways. And so, you know, an, an old example of that would be one of the decisions we made early on, which ended up being a really good one, was we, we let communities self-style with CSS directly. So giant powerful toolkit, very obtuse to use, but you can basically do whatever you want in the way that your community lays out. And a side effect of that relatively simple yet complicated change was that we found all these avenues for expression in communities and like a whole like bevy of features that people built entirely with CSS and some, some really complicated styling like flare and just kind of like labeling of things and just exciting ways to do voting that we're able to use that to basically foster our next round of what kind of products we build. You know, so, so really it's like this, it's the creating and fostering an ecosystem has been kind of the focus for us and I think we'll continue to be so. Um, I think when it comes down to like the actual like internals, I mean, for me, there's just the straightforward, like just continue to grow and, you know, grow the team, grow the people, grow the talent and let them be, you know, help with the creativity that, that's going on on the platform. From a technical perspective, who do you look up to? Who influences the way that you think, architect, code, build, etc.? The easy one is probably um, Steve Huffman, our CEO. We've worked together for 14 years and it's really nice and comforting to have somebody that I work closely with who, you know, we've kind of had a lot of our fights already, which is kind of good. Uh, and at the same time, you know, Steve's, Steve, Steve was the first engineer on Reddit. Steve built the original stack. Steve was Lisper who kind of started the whole thing. And it's been really fun to kind of, uh, both of us have been stretching into our respective roles over the years. Like, you know, it's, we're always working for the biggest company we've ever worked for, which is, you know, exciting and terrifying and kind of like learning what the, what the, the new job is um, attached to our title. For people in the industry who, who I've been uh, looking to, there's a guy by the name of Will Larson who has a really great book on engineering, managing engineering teams. That's been really compelling. The idea is that, uh, you know, when is it time to hire versus when is it time to refactor? And you know how to avoid going into science project mode. Uh, being a being an infrastructure engineer, kind of by my by core, has I have a lot of sympathy for the for the for the problem. Um, I would probably be lying if I didn't give a shout out to Elon, if only because uh, he makes cars that are really cool that I drive, has a space fleet, and batteries attached to houses, and he has a company called the Boring Company that makes flamethrowers. That's pretty rad. Uh, <laughs> I think any technologist you talk to who isn't a little bit like both excited and envious by the stuff that he comes up with and his, his companies come up with is, is probably lying. I, I remember hearing at one point that the, um, the Tony Stark character that they you know created for the Marvel movies 
was actually loosely based off of Elon. Like they did some, they done some discussions with him as like one of the one of the cornerstones of that that uh, that character. And then kind of last thing, last but not least, uh, one of my peers who who I, I definitely respect greatly is um, there's a CDN company by the name of Fastly that does really great stuff. And their CTO Tyler McMullen has built some really cool technology recently around uh, edge computing. It basically lets you ship anything you can write in WebAssembly into Fastly's Edge, which is like another layer of compute, which I think is just just it's on that realm of being brilliant and bonkers and just a new way of possibly operating. If you could go back to the beginning when you you stepped in and you know you started uh, taking on this 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 animal, like what what would you do differently if you could go start over? This is a tough one because you know to go back to my original point about failure, I kind of feel like to some extent like the the. Um, it's really the failures that kind of give you the experience that makes you succeed later. Or like maybe the, you know, the successes are almost like the exceptions and the failures are the ones that actually you learn from to help to build up the successes. And so, you know, the hard part with counterfactuals is it's kind of hard to tell which bits are, which bits are the ones that actually led to current state that would have been important. Like, like actually a simple example is I got into startups um, way back in 2004 because I randomly ran into a friend after a talk and we ended up hitting up, getting a conversation going on some problem that turned into a startup. And if I had decided not to go to that talk or like any number of things along the way, it would have totally changed the timeline. Like I might be a, uh, an adjunct professor somewhere as opposed to CTO at a site that specializes in pictures of cats, which is a you know, slightly different way of operating. Some advice I would give to you, my younger self, would be one of the, one of the, a couple of things I invoke all the time, I find, is uh, there's a rule called Hanlon's Razor which is paraphrased as uh, assuming competence over malice, which basically means if somebody is doing something that seems malicious, start off by assuming that they just don't know you exist and that they're actually just not paying attention and are, are incompetent rather than assuming some sort of like malicious intent. And 99% of the time you're actually right. A kind of an inverse of that one is the, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a Latin phrase, which I'm not gonna try and say out loud, which is basically don't let the bastards grind you down. So it's, it's mock Latin that I think applies equally well to operating uh, at Reddit, as well as working at a place with 500 people. The Latin is actually uh, Ill illegitimy non coverendum, which, which I, I want at some point have a plaque on my desk. I think, you know, one, one of my jokes about Reddit as a place to uh, work and a, a platform is that some of what Reddit exists for is it exists as a platform to criticize Reddit. Uh, you know, everything, everything we do is the worst thing we've ever done. And oh my God, why did we move that button? That button was the cornerstone of the way the site operated. And you know, you have to kind of go into it with a certain amount of like, you know, like the who moved my cheese problem. And you have to go with it with a certain amount of humor just to be able to kind of, you know, day to day accept the fact that, yeah, you know what? People have opinions and we're gonna do things and we're gonna we're gonna work with the community and we're gonna talk to them. Um, and the same thing is true internally where, you know, people have disagreements and that's where kind of things like disagree and commit come into play. I think that was less, uh, less advice than a small rant I could give myself uh, if I had a time machine. Well, Chris, thank you for, for being on the Code Story podcast. Thank you for telling the creation story of Reddit. Glad to. That was a lot of fun. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is a production of TouchTap LLC and is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart, co-produced and edited by George Macharco. Special thanks to Deanna Chapman and Stephanie Campisi for their promotional support. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Breaker, or the podcasting app of your choice. Make sure to check us out at CodeStory.co or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn.